Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, there's just so many religions out there. And you say this, you know, and, then it, and it's through Jesus, but this, you know, somebody else says this, and, and this person says that. I mean, how do you know what to believe? That's exactly Satan's intention. What is truth? We're living in a culture today where almost everyone, it seems, has their version of truth. Lots of people have differing ideas about spiritual truth, eternity, heaven and hell, salvation. But with so many voices out there and so many different ideas and beliefs, how can you know who is telling the truth? How can you determine if what someone is telling you is true or a lie? You have to test. That's right. You have to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So the question becomes, right, how do you test the spirits? Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Throughout the book of 1 John, we've seen various tests given to us by John for a person to determine if they are truly a part of the family of God. Today, in 1 John chapter 4, John gives us a test for determining whether something we are being taught is truth or a lie. False prophets were as plentiful in John's day as they are in ours. Many people get caught up in false teaching that sounds spiritual. But as Pastor Clay is going to explain today, just because something sounds spiritual doesn't mean it's spiritually sound. Thanks for joining us. Now here's Pastor Clay. You ever have dealings with somebody that... Um, Talks a, talks a good game, but when you get into it, you find out eh, they really don't have the slightest idea what they're talking about. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do you have somebody like that? Anybody have any examples? I had a, me- a mechanic one time before I met Neil. Uh, a mechanic, a young guy, he was a super nice guy, and, uh, you know, he, just, oh, he, could, he could use all the mechanical words that, that I don't know. <laughs> and, and it, and it sounded, sounded really mechanical. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, oh, this guy, he must be, like, really super mechanic. But it turned out he, he really didn't know much about what he was talking about. <laughs> we found that out the hard way uh, in, some, in some cases. Y'all, y'all have somebody like that? Uh, some instance or something where you, you work with somebody that maybe it, it sounded good when they said it, you know, but maybe it really wasn't all it was cracked up to be? You know, that can be true in the spiritual realm. Uh, at least uh, John certainly uh, seems to say that uh, this morning as we're making our way through 1 John. Uh, we've arrived at 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to take a few moments uh, this morning just looking at uh, the first six uh, verses of 1 John chapter 4. So you can open your Bibles there uh, in whatever version you might have, it, electronic hard copy, uh, also the text on the screen. Uh, but uh, 1 John chapter 4, if you'd like to take notes, there's, no, there's a sheet on, the, on your program on the back side of some notes. That's purely for the people that just like to do that uh, kind of thing. You don't have to feel obligated to do it, but hopefully it helps you. If you do take notes, one of the things I encourage people to do is um, uh, take it with you, you know, and maybe use it during the week as part of your, your time with the Lord and just go back over that passage of Scripture because we're covering it in, you know, 40, 45 minutes, something like that, looking at a passage of Scripture. But as you, as you read over it and read through it and think and just kind of meditate and contemplate passages of Scripture, you know, we, uh, we don't do that much as a culture anymore, but to actually... Um, 
meditate on a text and say, God, give me some, give me some clarity here. Help me to understand it. God may reveal some, some things uh, to you that, uh, that I hadn't even thought of in that process. One of the great things about the Word of God is that you can read it and read it and read it and read it and then read it again and God can, can reveal something else new to you. You know what I'm saying? It'll always line up with His, with his Word and the whole counsel of God, but, but it's just amazing how the Word of God uh, works like that. I don't know where you are today in your life. I don't know what is going on in your life. Uh, some of you may know some some things that go on, but for the most part, you know, we, we go in and I say this. I've said this before, but people come in and we put on our 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 uh, our Jesus face. You know, we smile. We say, "Oh, I'm doing great. How are you?" And you know, we go on about our stuff. But oftentimes, we're hurting. Oftentimes, we're we're as I said last week. It's the world is really can be a very lonely place. Oftentimes this. Oftentimes that. A lot of stuff going on, and it, and it can open us up to. Um, it can open us up to spiritual danger uh, as a result of, of needing something or something like that. Uh, let's see if we can, uh, can uh, kind of dive into that as we look at 1 John chapter 4. You got your Bibles with you today? Got something with you today, hopefully, taking, if you want to take notes, that sort of thing. 1 John chapter 4, love, walking in it, walk in it, this command to walk in love. Boy, uh, this week is... is Quite honestly, he's not saying a lot about love in verse 1 through 6, but in the rest of the chapter, he's going to hammer it again. Love, 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 and what it means to love, what it really means to love your brother and sister in Christ. Those people sitting beside you, around you, in front of you, uh, aren't even in these seats yet. Those people that, that, uh, that God has commanded us to love and what that looks like. He's really going to hit that uh, next week. But this week has something to say about, uh, about discerning spiritual truth. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, beloved. And John means that, by the way, when he writes that. He loves you, even. Even, even as, I realize it's 2,000 years removed from John penning this, but he loved the body of Christ. Just So as he's writing to the people, that, to the churches that would have read this in that day, and even to the churches reading it here today, know that he, he genuinely, I, I believe with all my heart, he genuinely loves us. And has our best interests in mind as God is directing him. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, this is new. John hasn't said this before, has he? So we've been making our way through First John. This is something new. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world... By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Yeah, that was a, glad y'all didn't miss that opportunity. That was a good one. They, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world. Watch this. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 and we're going, to head it, we're going to give it a heading that looks like this. Just because something sounds spiritual 
doesn't mean it's spiritually sound. John ends chapter 3, which we looked at last week, but, uh, but I just want you to see or be reminded that ending again. John ends chapter 3 uh, with this uh, statement in verse 24. And the one who keeps his commandments, uh, notice the capital letter, which NASB almost always does uh, on the pronouns for God. Uh, it's, it's talking about God, the one who keeps God's commandments, abides in him, and he in, in him, in them, in us. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John uh, closes out that section of his letter by again, and if you've been in this series, you know, I told you, I warned at the beginning that, that I certainly at times would sound like a broken record, but John again finishes that letter with, with this test, again, this test in how you can know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And he comes back to this idea about keeping God's commandments. In other words, living the way he would have us to live, speaking the way he would have us to speak, um, uh, caring the way he would have us to care, loving the way he would have us to love. Uh, John says those, those are characteristics, that is evidence of a person's relationship with God that is authentic, that it is genuine. If you've been through this series, when, when, when this, at least in 1 John, when it winds up, you're, at the very least, you're going to walk away uh, with this idea that John keeps saying is, that, is that, there, that there is a difference between professing Christ and possessing Christ. That there clearly can be a difference there and that we need to understand that. And, I, and I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Uh, John is not writing this to cause people to doubt their salvation necessarily. He is writing it to help those of us who are believers to be able to look, point to clear signs. To say, okay, I, I can see what, what, what this is in my life and what's going on here. And, and this is evidence that God genuinely is in my life and he's doing a work in my life. And in that last little bit there, he closed out there verse 24 that says that the Holy Spirit is part of that evidence. That he is in our lives. I was, explaining, I was explaining the gospel the other night to a person and uh, I was explaining to them about how the Word of God says that, that when we receive Christ our Savior, when we genuinely receive Christ our Savior, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. And I think sometimes people think that that means something, you know, lightning is supposed to flash or, uh, you know, something is jolt or something is supposed to happen that, oh, I've got the Spirit in me now. But we, we know the, word, the, the Spirit is in us simply because the Word of God says that it's true. That that's what happens. The Spirit of God, it doesn't mean, I mean, the Spirit leads us and He may move, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be some, it's, it's just, this is what happens. When you receive Christ, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. And so John says, if the Spirit of God is in you, you ought to be able to, to know that, and that's evidence of it. And so when he says that, as he's led by the Holy Spirit, that leads him into talking about another test that we have to perform in our lives. And that is the test having to do with spiritual truth and speaking spiritual truth into our lives because, John says, that there are many false Christs, false prophets out there. Verse, again, in verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Would you all say that first line with me, please? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into 
the world. Pseudo-prophetai in the Greek. I love that because it speaks to exactly what they are. They're pseudo-prophets. They're fake prophets. They say they have a word from God, but in reality what they're saying is not from God at all. They're pseudo-prophets. And, and John says, what, what's the adjective there? Many. Is that an adjective? Many. Now, that, that, that says at least a couple of things to us this morning. Here's what I want you to get on. That says at least a couple of things. One thing it says to us is that the enemy is active, ladies and gentlemen. The enemy is active. And you and I have to realize, listen, I, I know that we tend to not think about this, but ladies and gentlemen, the enemy is active and that he is working and that he is doing all he can to muddy up the water, so to speak. You see, Satan learned long ago that, that one of the ways that you keep people from truth is by putting out lies and putting out lies and putting out lies so that it, so that the, mud, the water is muddied up so that you're distorting and so you change and so, and so you end up with people like, well, and, and I have, I, I've talked to lots of people. Have you ever talked to somebody like this? Well, you know, there's just so many religions out there. You know, there's just so many religions out there. And, and, and you say this, you know, and, then it, and it's through Jesus, but this, you know, somebody else says this and, and this person says that. I mean, how, how, do you know, how do you know what to believe? That's exactly Satan's intention. Satan desires to keep people from coming into a relationship with God because Satan knows that God changes people's lives. And so he just, he just distorts. He just puts it out there. And you and I have to realize that he is active, that he's working in the world, and that he is desiring to distort the truth. It could be truth that could keep a person from coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It could, be, it could distort uh, or to change or to put out a lie that would, that would keep you from... Uh, moving in a direction God would have you to move, you just have to realize that the enemy is active. And that means, secondly for us, that we have to be proactive. We, we, we've got to be proactive at this thing. John says, listen, guys, you can't just, you can't just assume that what you're hearing is true. You can't do that. It's, it's crazy. So what does he say you have to do? You have to test that's right. You have to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So the question becomes, right? You know it. How do you test the spirits? What, what is, how do you test the spirits? Well, I don't, I don't know if this is exhaustive, but I think John uh, in the following verses gives us a, at least a couple of ideas uh, to get a hold of. How do you test the, if, okay, John says, you've you got to test the spirits to see whether what you're hearing is from God or not. What, what you're reading is from God. Now, what you're watching is from God. And what someone's saying to you is from God or not. You've got to test that. How do you do that? How do you test it? Here's the first idea concerning us being proactive. You have to look for theological accuracy. You have to start there. You have to start with theological accuracy. Uh, and I read it a moment ago, but let's look at it again, this time in the New Living Version, in verses 2 and 3. You can tell if the Spirit is from God in this way. Every spirit that says Jesus Christ has come in a human body is from God. And every spirit that does not say Jesus has come in a human body is not from God. It is the teaching of the false Christ, the, the Antichrist. You have heard that this teaching is coming. It's already here in the world. It's already around us. It's, it's already going on. Uh, uh, we've seen this throughout First uh, John, but, uh, and I mentioned it in the very beginning, uh, but in, in, in the early days as John's writing this, there were, there were a number of false 
teachings, a number of false heresies that were popping up uh, within the church all over the place. There, by the way, there are a number of heresies, false teachings constantly popping up around us today. That's why John's word is still just as applicable to us today as it was the day that John penned it. One of those areas of, of uh, inaccuracy had to do with the, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We've talked about that some already. But the relationship as, as God the Son in, as man, as in humankind. What did that mean? And the church is figuring all this stuff out as revealed in Scripture. And so some teachers began to say, well... Uh, Jesus, we know that, that Jesus, you know, he, he looked like a man. He was, God came to earth and he looked like a man, but he really wasn't a man. He was, he was a spirit. Other people were saying, well, uh, yeah, he, he, was, he was God, uh, but he, he, borrowed, he borrowed a human body uh, for, for a period of time that he needed it. And other things like that. And John says, if the person that's speaking to you or comes to you or... Uh, giving you counsel or trying to teach you, if they say that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man, it may not add up mathematically, but it's absolutely correct. That is true. If they say that he absolutely was a man, he didn't look like a man, he didn't part, you know, become a man for a little while, that he absolutely, that God became a man, if someone's teaching you that, you can believe that that teaching is from God. If they say that, he, well, he kind of, he looked like a man, but, he, you know, come on, God, he doesn't really become a man, or, or he borrowed a body. If they say anything like that, if they say anything like that, that is not true. That is theologically untrue. That is a lie. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, and this matters to me because, I, I mean, really, Clay, all right, but what difference does this make in my life? today. How does, this, how does this matter to me? Y'all ready? You're about to get a lesson in Soteriology 101. Oh, <laughs> a pastor and scholar would always get excited about that kind of stuff. You're about to get a lesson in Soteriology 101. Soteriology is the study of the doctrine of salvation. Okay? What is salvation? How do we obtain salvation? Why do we need salvation? Those are the types of questions that would be dealt with in a soteriology class. Okay? Y'all ready? Here's why it matters. Listen, here's why it matters. The payment for sin, the atonement of sin, requires an absolutely perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice without spot or blemish, as it puts it in Leviticus. A sinless sacrifice. That's a big problem for us. Because we are all sinners. I know you know this. I know you know this, but, but perhaps someone is here that doesn't. Can I point this out to you? Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Oh, yeah, but, but, my, but my grandma, she was really a sinner. But, but Billy Graham, I mean, that guy, he's like, yeah, a sinner. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans three twenty three, uh, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, everybody, everyone, we're all sinners. So we're in a dilemma. 
right? It takes a perfect, sinless sacrifice to pay for sins. Think of it this way. This may, may not be a perfect analogy, but think of it this way. You, don't, you wouldn't wash clothes in dirty water. Because if you did, when you finished, the clothes wouldn't really be clean, would they? They'd be wet. But they wouldn't really be clean if you started with, with dirty water. If you want clean clothes, you have to use clean water. If you and I want to be clean spiritually, it requires a clean, a perfect, a sinless cleansing agent to work on our behalf. And as we just established, none of us are perfect. All of us have sinned. All of us are sinners. And so none of us, therefore, by default, none of us are qualified to pay for our sins or anybody else's sins for that matter. Anybody want to take a guess at who is perfect, who is sinless, who is qualified? God is. God is. God is the only one who is sinless. God is the only one who is perfect. Therefore, again, by default, God is the only one qualified to pay for sins. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. God is, God is eternal. God is spirit. John 4, 24. How can God die? Maybe there's another way. No, no, there's not another way. The atonement of sins required the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice of a perfect sinless one. Hebrews chapter 9. You know this passage of scripture, perhaps. Hebrews chapter 9. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You with me? Okay, it's soteriology 101. Y'all with me? Listen, I know. I know it's, it's part of it's the culture in which we live. I, I know, but it's just sin is so prevalent in our culture, in our society today, that I, I, sadly, tragically, I, this is even in my own life, sin is so prevalent in our culture today that we hardly even pay any attention to it anymore. And we rarely feel the weight of it. At least part of the purpose of the Old Testament sacrificial system was so that the people of God could feel the weight of their own sin. As that animal, as that, as that lamb, as that innocent one was placed on the altar, as its throat was slit, and as its life blood flowed out, at least part of the purpose in that was so that the people in that moment could realize, could, could think to themselves and they, and they could realize, my sin caused this. My sin caused the death of this innocent one. And when you hear that, if your first thought is, but that's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair at all that an innocent would have to die for my sins. It's just the way it is. The payment of sin requires a sinless sacrifice. So if perhaps your next thought is, well, maybe, maybe we just ought to get what we deserve. So that an innocent doesn't have to die. Maybe, maybe we ought to have to pay for our sin. Maybe we ought to just have to go to hell and spend eternity there. We should. We should. But God, being rich in mercy. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's the way it says it in the New Living. At one time you were dead because of your sins. You were spiritually separated from God. That's what it means. You followed the sinful ways of the world and obeyed the leader of the power of darkness. And if you, and if you say... No, I didn't. Yes. Yes, you did. And so did I. He is the devil who is now working in the people who do not obey God. He's, he's active. He's working right now. At one time, all of us lived to please our old selves. 
We gave in to what our bodies and minds wanted. We were sinful from birth like all other people and would suffer from the anger of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God on on our sin. But God had so much loving kindness. He loved us with such a great love, even when we were dead because of our sins. He made us alive by what Christ did for us. You have been saved from the punishment of sin by his loving favor. Oh, yes, it's not fair. And we absolutely deserve it. But God did this thing on our behalf. So we're back to the question. If God is great in his loving kindness towards us, if if God wants to save us, but if the, the payment for sin requires a perfect blood sacrifice, and therefore none of us are qualified because none of us are perfect, all of us are sinners, and if God is the only one who is qualified because God is the only one who is perfect, but if God is eternal, if God is spirit, how can God die to pay for our sins? You already know the answer, don't you? God would have to become a man, not just look like a man, Not just borrow a body for a little while. God would have to take on flesh and blood so that at the perfect time he could offer up his flesh and his blood, his perfect flesh, his perfect blood to pay for your sins and mine. God would have to become a man. And he did. John chapter 1 verse 114. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The Word became a human and lived among us. And we saw His glory, the glory that belonged to the only Son of the Father, and He was full of grace and truth. Galatians chapter uh, 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that, we, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So yes... Ladies and gentlemen, John emphasizes this because this is a big deal. Understanding who God is in, in taking on flesh and becoming a man. It literally is the difference between heaven and hell and the understanding of this. But listen, the truth is it could apply to a wide variety of areas in your life. Yes, this is the one John is focusing on because this was, was, was certainly an issue. It could still be an issue uh, today, but... Quite honestly, it could apply to virtually every area of your life. The, the importance of understanding uh, and going with theological accuracy versus what you might hear here there or everywhere. And listen, it can come from everywhere, right? I'm not just talking about preachers. You've got to watch them for sure. But, it can, be, but it, it, it can be TV personalities. It can be movies. It can be music that you listen to. It can be books that you read. There are so many different ways in which spiritual influence can come into your life. And you have to, you have to seek after theological accuracy for your life. It's that important. And the truth is, it, as I said, it could be a wide variety of areas. It could come from, from teachers. It could come from your friends. Well, you know, I just think that you should. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ultimately, every decision in your life, certainly every decision of any consequence or any magnitude, ultimately should begin with with one question, right? WWJD, what would Jesus do in this situation? I want to get it right. I want to be theologically accurate. I I mean, I want to do what God would have me to do. 
So what would Jesus do? In order to know what Jesus would do, ladies and gentlemen, that requires that you know Jesus' word. You know God's word. You know how to respond based on what his word says. And listen, you, some of you may be thinking, well, I, I just, I don't have the time to, to put into study like I'm supposed to. Listen, I'm, tell, I'm just telling you, 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 can't, you, don't have, you can't afford not to. You, you can't. You just can't afford not to. There's too much on the line for you, for your family, for, for in so many decisions that you make in your life. You have to find a way to find the time to spend in God's word. And nobody's going to make you. Nobody's going to force you. It's something you have to say, I have to do this. It doesn't mean you have to go to seminary and get a degree. Fine, if you do. But it does mean that you're going to have to dig down and, and find a way to find the time to say, I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. And listen, I know it may not sound very glamorous to sit at your kitchen table at 5.30 in the morning or to sit at your bedside and, and, and start reading the Word of God and start writing down notes or asking questions. That may not sound very glamorous, but it's absolutely critical for your life, for your marriage, for your family, for, for, for your well-being, for everything. Because why? Because there's so much out there. There's so much spiritual untruth out there that if you don't know the truth, you'll, you'll be deceived. You'll fall into it. So, theological accuracy. That's how we have to be proactive, right? We've got we we to we look for theological accuracy. Second way that John mentions here real quick is we, can, we have to watch for worldly popularity. Watch it. Now, watch what he says. Look at it um, again uh, in verse 5 and 6 in the New Living Translation. Those people belong to this world. The, the, those that are offering spiritual counsel or spiritual advice, it may sound spiritual. And that what we said, it may sound spiritual, but it doesn't mean it's spiritually sound. Those people belong to this world, to, to the world system, to, to everything operating outside of, of the, the, the desires of God for, the, for his creation. Uh, those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, Right? That's, what are the viewpoint have they got? I've said, you know, sometimes we get mad. We interact with somebody that's not a believer and they act unscrupulously or, or, or we have a political leader that does stuff that's not... Like, and I say this, some of y'all heard me say this a bunch of times. Lost people act the way they do because they're lost. That's all they know. It's, they only have one way to operate. You understand that? So they speak from the world's viewpoint. And the world listens to them. Worldly popularity. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. Listen to, to the truth of his word. Listen to the, what was set up by the original disciples and the original authors of God's word. He said, that's, that's what you're going to go. That's what you're going to listen to. Uh, if they do not belong to God, they will not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. That's just, he just says, that's how you can tell pretty quickly. Listen, now let me say this. That does not, when you, when you read that, that, when you read that passage of scripture there, it doesn't, you know, automatically mean that if a church, if you see a church that's growing and exploding and, uh, you know, getting larger, that doesn't mean necessarily that that church is teaching or preaching untruth, okay? Cross-culture is reaching people. Cross-culture is going to grow. So it doesn't necessarily mean that, that, uh, well, that would have been a really good place to say amen, but I'm just saying. (laughs) So if you see growth, if you see something happen, it doesn't automatically mean that, that that is untruth, but what, will you see, what you will see, what John says, is when you see a, a, the world, when you see those outside a relationship with God embracing something that says, yeah we, yeah, we like that, we can get behind that, he says, watch out, watch out. That is evidence, he says, that it, that it doesn't come from God. 
Okay, let me give you an example. I'm going to pick on my favorite person to pick on, Oprah. Listen, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I do not, I do not hate Oprah. I think Oprah seems like a very lovely person, and I, I know Oprah has, has materially has done some good for lots of people. I always say that because I want y'all to know it's not, I'm just not picking on her. I, but, but listen, very few people, if you look at it, very few people in the world have had as great an influence in the world, particularly on women, as Oprah has had in the last 20 years. Very few people have had the influence that Oprah has had on women. And Oprah, not always, not every week, not every, now, now it's the life class thing. She's not doing the daily show, now it's the life class. But, but not every week, but many, many of her life classes have to do with spiritual matters. A lot of them. So whether it's her talk show or life class or whatever, when Oprah stands up there and says, God loves everybody, that's not an untruth. Certainly God loves everybody. But when she clarifies that that means that he loves everybody absolutely as they are with no intention for that person to change and that they can that they can they, they can worship God in any means that they choose they can call God by whatever me, name they want to call him by they can they can choose any lifestyle they desire to choose they can do all those things and it doesn't matter because God loves everybody and the world eats it up Oprah, when Oprah says something like you, when Oprah gets something like that, oh yeah, standing, standing O for Oprah, right? Because that sounds good, because well, I, I can live any way I want and still be okay with God. Mm. Or I can call God by whatever name I want, or I can do whatever thing, I, it, you understand what I'm saying? It, it sounds spiritual, but it is not spiritually sound. Pseudo. Prophetai, false prophet. And you, you start, listen, you can look around, you can think about it, uh, but, there, but there's, there's lots of others. Listen, the whole, and I, I, it's, I understand the idea behind it, it sounds good, but the, the whole coexist crowd, you know, the bumper stickers and everything. Hey, listen, I understand. I, I understand what they're saying. Listen, we all ought to be able to get along and all that kind of stuff. I agree. I, I, I got no problem getting along with anybody and everybody has, chooses who they're going to believe in and who they're going to worship and all that stuff. But what they really, when you understand what they really mean, when they put coexist, what they really mean is they're all the same. They call God Krishna or Muhammad or Buddha or Jehovah or Jesus. Call him whatever you want, but we're all the same. Come on, let's just all get along. Why can't we all just, get, let's just coexist? Say it. pseudo prophetai false it's a lie and john says it's everywhere so one of the ways you can watch for it he says he's just watch if the world embraces something like this and we could we could think of tv preacher personalities we could think of uh hollywood movie stars we could think of we could think of all different ways uh that people promote a message and the world will stand up and applaud and say yeah that's right and it will sound spiritual but it is spiritually unsound and, and you just, you just, you have to be aware of it. Why? Because the enemy is active. So what do we have to be? Proactive. We have to be. Oh, well, I, I just, okay, so let's get to that. Here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway for this. Uh, here's what you have to do. First, establish your spiritual condition. All right? I said uh, at the beginning of this, John is not writing this to cause people to necessarily doubt their salvation. But he clearly is teaching that there are people walking around who who, uh, in, in our context, 
They could call themselves Baptist. They could call themselves Methodist. They could call themselves Catholic. They could call themselves non-denominationalist. They can call themselves whateverist. But it doesn't mean that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Clearly, John is saying that, folks. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw anybody on the bus. I'm just saying clearly, he's saying that there are people that profess it but don't possess it. So, so I would say to any person, establish your your spiritual condition, know that you know that you know that you're in a relationship with the living God. And, and, and John wrote these things so you can say, this is what you'll see. You're going to see that you're going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ sacrificially, unconditionally. You're going to forgive them. You're going to reach out to them. You're going to do for them. And I, okay, right? Do any of us get it right all the time? Have you ever blown it? Sure. Don't we? All the time. I sure do. I know I don't get it right all the time and all that kind of stuff. But this is, this is the way we're going to love people. This is the way we're going to love people. And he says, that's evidence. And theological act, that's evidence. And fulfilling the, your life, doing what God wants you to do, that's evidence that, that this is real and you have a relationship with him. And I would just say to any person, man, woman, boy or girl, any person that in any way, in a few moments we come to the end of the service and we have an, a time of response, there's any person that has questions about salvation or their salvation or or how do I know this or that? Uh, we'll have some people down here, and, and they're there for you to talk to, to pray with, to answer any questions that you have. And if I were, I'm just telling you, because I know where I was at one point in my life, growing up in the church. But when I was 20-something, I received Christ as my Savior, even though I'd already been baptized and all that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you, if I were you, and I had any doubts, any questions, whatever, I wouldn't let anything keep me from getting out of that, that aisle and coming down and saying, hey, I need to talk to somebody about this. You've got to establish your spiritual condition. Second, you have to evaluate your spiritual sources. Like I said a moment ago, they can come from a lot of different places. And, and oftentimes it's people that mean well. I mean, it, it, can, be other, it can be other Christians, okay? It's real. I mean, generally authentic other Christians can say, well, you know, I think God, I, I think this, I think God wants you to be happy, so I, I think you should do this. I said this one before, let me, uh, let me cycle it back through. God is much more interested in you being holy than he is with you being happy. And that means just making decisions that, that honor him. So you, it, there's practical application all through this. But you can think of, I mean, we're talking about theology, soteriology, all that kind of stuff. But you could see in all different kinds of situations. It could be a friend. It could be a loved one. It could be a neighbor. It could be a, a pastor. It could be a counselor. It could be a lot of different people. But, but ultimately, you have to test it. You have to test the theological accuracy of that. And in some cases, you may have to walk away from that relationship if, if what they're giving you is not spiritually true. Or you may, at the very least, if you say, well, it's, it's, it's my mom. <laughs> I know moms would never give anything untrue. But it, it, it's, it's, it's this loved one, and they're, and they're giving me this, this counsel, and I can't see where it lines up with the Word of God. Okay, maybe you can't walk away from... Uh, uh, Someone like, but what I'm saying is you may have to say, listen, I love you. I know you have my best interest at heart, but what you're saying does not line up with the word of God. So I cannot hear what you're saying to me. Stop telling me things that do not line up with the word of God. You just may have to say that. Well, they might get mad. <laughs> you just, you have to evaluate your spiritual sources. That's all I'm saying. What you're listening to, what you're reading, what you're watching, all those kind of stuff. We have to always be evaluating and saying, is this, is this what God would have me do? Is this theologically accurate? Am I moving in a direction that God would approve of? Or is this taking me in a direction that is not God approved, so to speak? And then last, 
you need to expand your spiritual influence. Because I was thinking when I was, when I was working on this message, I was thinking about, you know, the, all these, these pseudo-prophets, and there's many of them. They're out in the world, and they're spreading lies, and the world is, is embracing all this uh, untruth, and, it, and the world is just a mess. And, oh, oh, I'm just going to buy a piece of land in Wyoming and move up there and not have to be around anybody. No. No matter how good that sounded, apparently it sounded pretty good to some of y'all. No, then you are no longer fulfilling the commission for which you have been appointed to take the gospel everywhere. Yes, people in Wyoming need Jesus, but locking yourself away or saying, uh, I'm just circling the wagons, man. It's just me and my family, and I'm going to work on that. I'm going to focus on that. Sorry, but the kingdom of God is never called to circle the wagons. The kingdom of God is called to charge the gates of hell. That's our calling. That's our charge. How you doing? Y'all all right? So you and I have to expand our spiritual influence. It's a dark world out there. I know that. But does the light of Christ dwell in you? Does the light of Christ dwell in you? Did I read somewhere, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? No, that's right. You don't, Rocky. You got it. We, we got to do it, folks. We have to expand our spiritual limits. Because, listen, <laughs> this is not rocket science, folks, although it's far more important. But you can't remove darkness if the light doesn't penetrate it. It just won't, just won't happen. It just stays dark. And so you and I have to take theological truth that we know, and we have to take it to the world around. It's okay, y'all right? It's okay in the midst of a conversation at the office or across the fence from your neighbor or with, with somebody. It's okay to say, well, here's what God says about that. It's okay to do that. Well, I'm telling you, more and more, I, I said this last time, more and more we're told, just sit down, shut up, meet inside your little building. And that is not our calling. We're not brash, we're not arrogant, we're not holier than thou. We're redeemed by the Son of God, and He has commanded us to go and operate behind enemy lines. So we have to expand our spiritual influence. How do we do that? Here it is. We have to be active. You can't be salt and light if you're just going to lock it away and, and circle the wagons and settle in. We have to be looking. How are you doing at that, folks? How are you doing at actively looking for how you can influence the world around you, your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones? How are you doing that? Here, there, everywhere. And then second, we have to be accurate. Back to that idea. I, I certainly don't want to spread untruth, so I, I better know what the truth is. I, I better open God's word. I better study. I better get up tomorrow morning before I go to work uh, and, and find out and start reading a, a book of the Bible or start asking questions or, or get a study or I have to do something because I need to be accurate for my own good, for my family's good, and for those that I'm trying to influence around me. I want to speak truth into their life. I don't want to be. Maybe we should get a t-shirt made up like that. I don't want to be a pseudo-prophetai. Or maybe a pseudo-prophetai with a circle and a big line running through it. What am I saying? Folks, it's, I'm telling you, it's up to us. It's up to us. If, if we're going to change the world... It begins with you and me saying, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to hand out a card. I'm going I'm to tell someone what Jesus has done in my life. I'm going to invite. I'm, I'm going to do something and let God take it and use it. John says they're everywhere. 
Watch out for them. Here's how you can know uh, what is true and what is not true. Here's how you can live it. And then here's what you need to do with it. Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder to check for theological accuracy in the things we are being taught. Everyone, from talk show hosts to the person who cuts your hair, has ideas about spiritual matters. Some of the things we hear can sound very spiritual, but as John tells us, we have to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Pastor Clay gave us some very practical steps to put in place to keep us from being led off into spiritual error and can help us help others in their spiritual journey. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, one of the ways Satan tries to keep people from the truth is by distributing lies, lots of them, and causing confusion and doubt. But with the Holy Spirit living within us, as we seek His counsel and test the things we're hearing, we can stay on track, honoring God and keeping His Word, growing in our relationship with Him, and working to help bring truth to those around us. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.